Good morning. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 18, and you will find it on page 985 of the Church Bibles. Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him, who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You might like to keep your Bibles open in front of you as we look at the passage together, and let's pray again briefly. So, Father, we pray that you would help us this morning not only to understand the truth of what we read, but that by your Spirit you would work on our hearts that we might have a desire to have this worked out in our lives. And we pray for wisdom as we do that too. In Jesus' name, amen. How am I supposed to forgive that? How many times should I forgive them? Aren't I only giving them license to keep doing the same thing over and over again? There may be the kinds of questions that we've all asked before. Well, here Peter speaks for all of us when he asks Jesus to set some sort of limits on this matter of forgiveness. How many times do I have to forgive? Well, Dave Harvey suggests that Peter needs more than a calculator. He needs a complete renovation of his understanding of God's love 
and forgiveness. Peter asks a question and suggests an answer in verse 21. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Well, I'm sure you've heard that seven is the traditional Jewish number of fullness or completion. Surely you couldn't be expected to forgive more times than that. As far as Peter is concerned, this is as generous as it is possible to be. Apparently, Jewish rabbis only expected that someone would forgive another person up to three times. But Peter has at least grasped that Jesus is going to expect more than the Jewish religious leaders. So it seems as though he doubles the number and throws in one for good measure. Surely Jesus will recognize Peter for the good Christian that he is. But Jesus' response makes Peter's generosity look like a drop in a bucket. Jesus' response can either mean seven times 70 or 77 times. But if you're already calculating what seven times 70 is, you've already made the same mistake as Peter. Peter needs more than a calculator. He needs a complete renovation of his understanding of God's love and forgiveness. The number that Jesus, Jesus uses here, 77, isn't a random number. Rather, Jesus seems to be alluding to a character in the Old Testament that you looked at not so long ago in Genesis chapter 4. This man was a violent and a bloodthirsty man. His name was Lamech. He boasted to his wives, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. You didn't want to mess with Lamech. If you so much as spoke out of turn or looked at him strangely, your life could be in danger. He was a violent and a vengeful man who liked to keep score. He said, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. There's that number again, 77. What Lamech really means is that there will be no end to his vengeance. No limit to what he will do in revenge to someone who hurts him. He's talking about vengeance without limit. So Jesus' response to Peter's question is really as many as it takes. Jesus is talking about forgiveness without limits. That's why Peter will need more than a calculator. He needs a complete renovation of his understanding of God's love and forgiveness. Now, I like the word that Dave Harvey uses here, this word renovation. I was speaking with someone a while ago who was renovating their house. It was going to involve removing walls, moving stairs, opening up rooms, and adding on a complete new section to their current building. But for the renovation to be done, there had to be a certain amount of tearing down before there could be any building out. Now that's exactly what Peter needs. He needs the walls of his understanding of forgiveness to first be knocked down before they can be built out. And Jesus has just the story to take the bulldozer to Peter's understanding 
of forgiveness. Jesus introduces a man who has an incalculable debt. One newer translation uses a very vivid image, 10,000 bags of gold. It's literally in verse 24, 10,000 talents. Now, if what I've read is correct, a talent was the largest unit of currency at the time, and 10,000 was the largest Greek numeral. So Jesus is describing the largest debt that it was even possible to think of. The king, however, is wanting to get his affairs in order and to settle his accounts. And as he does, so he comes across this colossal debt. And because the man isn't able to pay, he's told that his wife and children will be imprisoned until the whole debt has been repaired. But this is an incalculable debt that could never be repaid. The servant pleads in verse 26, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. But this debt is like a credit card bill that has gone completely out of control. Initially, he didn't pay too much attention to the interest he had to pay each month to service the loan. But then he couldn't even keep up with the interest on his debt so that rather than paying off the debt, it was a debt that only continued to grow. At this point, more time does not help. More time will only see the debt increase further. The problem isn't time. The problem is his inability to pay. R.C. Sproul comments, even if the king had infinite patience, infinity would not have been long enough to pay off the debt. It's an incalculable debt that could never be repaid, that was cancelled by the king. Now, I don't think it's incidental or accidental that in Jesus' story, it is the king to whom the debt is owed. The king is the very highest authority in the land. The king can do whatever he wishes to the person who owes him the debt. The king is not bound by anyone. One old Puritan prayer said, let me never forget that the heinousness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the person sinned against. It lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the person sinned against. Think about the concept of treason for a moment. Originally, treason was understood as a crime against one's king, often punishable by death. Not because of the nature of the crime that was committed, but because of whom the crime was committed against. In many countries today, treason is no longer a crime against a king, but a crime against the state. And it's still considered one of the gravest offenses that somebody can commit. Not because of the nature of the crime, but because of whom the crime is against. You see, the seriousness of this debt is not only the amount that is owed, or the inability to repay, but the one to whom the debt is owed. 
The king, however, verse 27, took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. The man wasn't only shown mercy, granting him more time to repay his debt. That would have been of no use at all. He was shown grace, giving him what he did not deserve. The whole of the debt was cancelled. Here is a man with an incalculable debt that could never be repaid, which was cancelled by the king. Does that sound at all familiar? Isn't that exactly what we have received? An incalculable debt that could never be repaid, which has been cancelled by the king. Our debt is not one of money. It's far more serious than that. It is the debt of our sins that will cause us not just to be thrown into a debtor's prison, but into the very depths of hell itself to receive the just punishment that our sins deserve. It's a debt that could never be repaid either in this life or the life that is to come. No amount of good that we do could ever erase the debt of sin. No penance or tears would be sufficient. No time would arrive when we will have been punished enough that we will be free of this debt. The forgiveness that God offers in Jesus is not only mercy, withholding from us the judgment that we deserve, but grace, granting us a blessing that we do not deserve, the forgiveness of our debts, that we might know the God who made us and enjoy eternal life with him. And forgiven sinners forgive sin. That's exactly what we expect in this story, isn't it? We expect this man to be transformed like Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas morning, thankful to be alive and wanting to bless Bob Cratchit and his family. We're expecting him to leave the king's presence a different man, a forgiven man, wanting to share the grace and kindness that he has just received from the hands of the king. But no, he is unmoved by the king's kindness. The very first thing that he does when he leaves the king's presence is to immediately go out and seek someone who owes him money. And nothing like those 10,000 bags of gold. We're talking about a hundred silver coins, a hundred denarii. Now, you don't need a calculator to understand Jesus' point. David Jackman writes, the first debt was so great, it could never be repaid. The second is so petty, it might easily be overlooked. In comparison to the debt that had just been forgiven, this is absolutely nothing. But he is unmoved by the king's kindness. He has not been changed one little bit by the mercy and grace that he has received from the hands of the king. His hands are not as generous as the hands of the king. Verse 28, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Who would have thought that a man who had been treated so tenderly by the king could treat a fellow servant so harshly? 
but he is unmoved by the king's kindness. Instead, he demands what is his right in verse 28, pay back what you owe me. Now, of course, he is right. This is a debt that is owed. This is a debt that should be repaid. He's loaned this other man some money, and he has every right to be repaid. But did you notice that Jesus puts the exact same words in the mouth of this man? The first man now hears the very same words that he had just said to the king in verse 29. Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. Now, in contrast to his own debt, this is a small debt that could easily be repaid. Time would have made all of the difference. But this man, it seems, doesn't have a single drop of mercy within him. Unmoved by the king's kindness, he demands what is his right, but it is an injustice that is evident to all. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. The other servants are appalled at what they have just witnessed. How could one who has been treated so tenderly another so harshly? How could one who has been forgiven so much not forgive so little? But the distress of the servants is nothing compared to the wrath of the king. Verse 32. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? just as I had on you. The man, of course, had every right to recall his debt. That's not in question. That would have been justice. But for one who had just received such outrageous mercy, to treat another so harshly, made this justice a complete injustice. An injustice that was evident to all. The end. That's what we'd like to hear next, isn't it? That's how all good stories should finish. But Jesus doesn't end there because Jesus is not yet finished. It is time to roll out the bulldozer to knock down the walls where we have set limits on the forgiveness that we will offer to those who've sinned against us. We too are going to need more than a calculator. We need a complete renovation of our understanding of God's love and forgiveness if we are ever to be able to forgive those who have sinned against us. Jesus concludes, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, when someone sins against us, everything within us cries out 
for justice. Whether we've been accused of something we didn't do, or we feel that someone has treated us in a way that is not right, everything within us cries out for justice. We want to be vindicated. Now, some of you, I am certain, have experienced terrible things at the hands of other people. Unjust things. Things that should never have happened to you. Things that can never be made right. And everything within you cries out for justice. And as a result, it's very natural that we build walls which set limits on our forgiveness. This far and no further. But here, Jesus rolls up with a bulldozer to knock down those walls wherever we have built them. Because forgiven sinners forgive sin. Now, I'm well aware that the issue of forgiveness is a complex one. For real forgiveness and reconciliation, there needs to be recognition of wrongs that were done and repentance for the sins that have been committed. And oftentimes there are real and lasting effects, life-changing effects caused by the wrong actions of others. Not all forgiveness is as neat and tidy as the cancelling of a debt. But Jesus' concern here is not so much with the how of forgiveness as it is with the why of forgiveness. The how question can be a complex one. And in the verses immediately before this story, Jesus has given some instructions on the how question. Making personal efforts to bring about resolution, sometimes seeking the help of others, oftentimes having to recognize the harsh reality that some wrongs are never made right. The how question can be a complex question, but it is not the most important question. The most important question is the why question. Because without the answer to the why question, you will never be able to grapple with the how question. But when we have grasped that we have had an incalculable debt that could never be repaid, which has been canceled by the king, we must be moved by the king's kindness to let go of what is our right and to extend something of the mercy and grace that we have received to those who do not deserve it. Why? Because forgiven sinners forgive sin. And those who refuse to forgive will not be forgiven. Jesus states it as plainly as that. If justice is what we want, it is justice that we will get. But getting what we deserve, getting what is our right, is good news for no one. After all, what good are a hundred silver coins? 
to a man who owes 10,000 bags of gold. The good news is that the one who told this story would absorb the cost of our incalculable debt himself. Jesus would face the fierce wrath of the king so that we need never have to. Upon the cross, Jesus would take the full and final judgment that our sins deserved upon himself so that we could be freely forgiven. And forgiven sinners forgive sin. Those who have received mercy from God extend mercy towards those who have hurt them. Those who have been treated kindly by God do not treat others harshly who have sinned against them. Why? Because forgiven sinners forgive sin. Because those who are trusting in Jesus as Savior have come to understand that though we want justice, there is something that we need more. We need mercy. Let's pray. Well, Father, we know that all of us at one level or another know what it is to be sinned against by other people. We know what it is to feel the hurt of that and we know how naturally we respond wrongly to that. We also know that this sense of justice at one level is right. We know that what happened should not have happened. But Father, we know that as well as being people who have been sinned against, we are also people who have sinned against others. And we know that there is something we need far more than justice. We need mercy. And so, Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, and for your gift of him. We thank you that all of that judgment that we deserve fell on him instead of us so that we could be freely forgiven. And, Father, as those who have been treated kindly by you, may you help us not to respond harshly to those who have sinned against us as those who've been recipients of your mercy. May you enable us to extend mercy towards those who have hurt us. Father, we pray that not only in this area, but in every area of our lives, the truth of the gospel would continue to work its way out in our lives so that we are not the same people as we were before we came to know and love the Lord Jesus. And we ask this in his name.